Welcome to Hope Sabbath School, an in-depth interactive study of the Word of God. We are coming towards the close of a great series, God's Mission, My Mission, Your Mission too, Our Mission, Joining God in His Mission. If you've missed any in this series, you can go to our website, hopetv.org slash hopess. Watch the entire series today, Mission Lessons from Esther and Mordecai, Mm. a book right before the book of Psalms that tells a story and has mission lessons for our lives today. So welcome to Hope Sabbath School and welcome to the team. Good to be together again. Take a look at each other. You look like the world. That's awesome because we have Hope Sabbath School team members in 200 countries around the world. And we've got some remotes joining us today. Let's see who's with us. Oh, Sabina, good to see you again. Glad you're with us today. Haiti, always have good to have you on the team. And Leah, good to see you again. We're glad you're part of our study. And we're glad that you're with us today, wherever you're from. I've been asking you during this series to write to us at sshope at hopetv.org because it brings great joy to our hearts as team members and the media team to hear how God's blessing your life through a, an in-depth, interactive study of His Word. Short note from Siwan Kambo in Uganda. I had to practice that name, beautiful <laughs> name. Siwan Kambo, write to us and tell us what your name means. Siwan Kambo says, the Hope Sabbath School team members are so knowledgeable with the Bible truth. Amen. How does that happen? The answer is, we study, right? We read. We're diligent, and the Holy Spirit helps us for sure. But we're so thankful, Siwan Kambo, that you're blessed, and we pray that you would continue to grow in your study of the Word of God. Here's a handwritten note from Ali, mm. 1040 window. Wow. I'm not going to give you the country. That's right. But Ali is watching Hope Sabbath School. Amen. 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 Grace and peace to you. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you always safe and healthy. Thank you. And we would say the same for you, Ali, right? Amen. Yes. yes. My prayer requests, my journey with Christ, mm-hmm. and pray for the churches and believers, especially in Iraq and Kurdistan. Mm. With kind regards, Ali. Amen. Amen. I just want to thank you for writing this note to us. And we praise God wherever you are. You could be in a country we've not named. You could be in some part of the world where, well, we're going to talk today about being in an area where there's hostility. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do we witness for Christ in that kind of setting? Thank you, Ali, for writing to us. Here's a note from a donor couple in North Carolina Mm. in the United States of America. And they say, we are so thankful that God has placed you, that's Mm. the team, here for such a time as this. Thank you. You may feel overwhelmed at times, but the Lord Jesus is and will continue to strengthen you. Amen. We appreciate all that you're accomplishing 
sending the gospel to the world. Please mm. give a shout out. That's a colloquial expression. Mm. It means say hello yes. <laughs> to the Hope Sabbath School team. So this is a couple in North Carolina. Would you give them a wave? Yes. We're not going to read the name because they've given a donation. We thank you. We watch Hope Sabbath School often and enjoy the interactive Bible study. Mm. Amen. This gift can be used to forward the proclamation of the gospel and a gift of $7,000 to bless the donor-supported ministry. Now, I just want to say to each one, we've got faithful people sending $25 a month, $10 a month. Yes. But some people say, I want to make a difference. And I just want to say thank you to each one of you. Maybe you're thinking, what can I do? And I would say, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Let the Holy Spirit guide you to lay up some treasure in heaven so that others can hear about a God who loves them. You can go to our website, hopetv.org slash hopess. Click on the donate button, or you can get an address there. Send us a letter. And please continue to pray for us. Amen. One last note from Muriel in Florida, Mm. in the United States. I think some of you might live in Florida. (laughs) Greetings in Jesus' name, our soon coming King. Amen. I love these notes. Yes, you kind of get a picture of the personality. (laughs) Hope Sabbath School continues to be a good work of God that He has entrusted to you. Mm. Remain faithful. Your rewards are sure if you faint not. Mm. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I think Muriel knows her Bible, doesn't she? (laughs) Jesus is coming soon. Well, Muriel, thanks for writing to us from Florida, here in the United States of America. And we, we can hear that the Word of God is in your heart. And thank you for being part of our Hope Sabbath School family. Right now, we need each one of you to become part of our Hope Sabbath School Choir. (laughs) We've learned a theme song on this series, Psalm 9, verses Mm. 1 and 2, which says, I will praise you, O Lord, how? With my whole heart. heart. That's right. And I will tell, I'm not going to just let other people tell, (laughs) God's mission, my mission, joining God in His work, I will tell of Mm. all your marvelous works. Let's sing it together. I was thinking of the words of Peter that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? Declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're going to praise him one more time with our song.
I know some of you probably were thinking while you were singing, I never thought I would be singing <laughs> to a million people around the world <laughs> because I don't sing that well. <laughs> but we're reminded it's not about us, is it? That's right. Amen. There's a hundred thousand other people, some of them with with uh, performance quality voices <laughs> singing along with us. Amen. But the message is so powerful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. God's mission, my mission, mm -hmm. I will tell. Today we're going to learn some lessons from Esther and Mordecai that I think are very relevant for today. Mm -hmm. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for each Hope Sabbath School member around the world joining us today as we continue our study of God's mission, my mission, especially as we look at this ancient story of Esther and Mordecai, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us that these lessons would be applied to our lives and our witness today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We're going to discover in the story of Esther and Mordecai, we'll look at the dating in just a minute, that they were not in Judah. They mm -hmm. were not in Palestine or Israel. They had, their people had been taken captive mm -hmm. generations before. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to begin by asking the question, how did the Jewish people end up in a foreign land. Mm -hmm. Sean, if you'd begin our study yes. in the book of Daniel, rather than, we'll go to Esther in just a moment, that's where we'll be studying today, but in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and verses 1 through 4, we find an account of how the children of Israel, the Jewish people, were taken captive to Babylon. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'll be reading Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I'm reading from the New International Version. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar sends his forces they attack Jerusalem, and who do they take back with them? Anyone? Who do they take back to Babylon? Or what do they take back? Because it may be people and things. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, they took people of high standing, nobility and so forth, as well as, as top treasures. Okay, it sounds like they may have taken Jehoiakim too, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So the king of Judah 
some key people, and though not mentioned in detail yet, we know the names of some of them, right? Yeah. Namely, yes. Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and Azariah, later called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So they're taken. Now, Jerusalem's not destroyed. The whole country's not in ruins. They'll come back again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, nine years later, no less than that, 97. So what is that? Eight years later, they'll come back, destroy Jerusalem, mm -hmm. take many more captives. How long was that captivity to last? Well, God had revealed something, Gladys, through the prophet Jeremiah. By the way, did you know that Daniel and Jeremiah lived at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And there was another prophet. What was his name? Ezekiel. 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 They lived, all lived at the same time, but in different locations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Daniel's taken captive, Ezekiel's in Susa, and Jer Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. ends up going to Egypt. But what was the revelation given to the prophet Jeremiah about this captivity in Babylon? Well, according to Jeremiah 29.10, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you mm. and fulfill my, my vow, my good promise to bring you back to this place. Mm. All right, so I want to ask a question. Sabina, I'd like to start with you, one of our remote team members today. Sabina, if after 70 years, I think we're talking through the... Uh, through King Cyrus, right, of the Medes and Persians, that permission is given for the Jews to go back to their homeland. Why didn't they all go home? Apparently, a good number of them stayed mm. in Babylon. Now, there may be more than one answer to that question, Sabina, but what do you think? So I would argue that some of them, they had already built relationships with local uh, people that were part first of Babylon and Persia, right? So that potentially they have had a hard time then disconnecting from what they had now built in this new land. Um, that's one of the things that can, that comes to my mind. Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. If the captivity lasted for how many years? 70, 70 years. Many of those people were born yeah. in Babylon, right? Yeah. That's yeah. my home, uh, my roots are back in Jerusalem or back in Judah, yeah. but I'm, I'm born here. Yeah. What's another reason besides, uh, I guess we would say, having put down deep roots for a person not to go back when the captivity period was over? Jason? Yeah, they got, uh, they were very prosperous there. Mm -hmm. So they got used to the living, you know, there in uh, this particular land, so they got comfortable. Okay, so maybe not just deep roots, but thinking, I think I may be better off. Yeah, exactly. But the challenge is I'm living in a pagan land, exactly. but maybe better off. Sean? Maybe they became a little too much like the pagan land they were living in. Daniel was clear that when they came, they had to be indoctrinated in the ways of the Babylonians. Mm. And maybe some of them took that not just to mind, but a little too much to heart. And, and certainly what Sean said is, is true because on the plain of uh, Dura, Dura mm -hmm. most of them bowed yeah. up, yeah. right? You've got three, mm -hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're called in their Babylonian names. But can you think of another reason, a, a positive reason, why not everyone went back? John? 
I mean, one of the reasons why God allowed captivity is because Israel did not fulfill their mission. Right. Mm. And so through captivity, God was trying to uh, tell his message mm. to the non-Jews and to bring his mission to the non-Jews. And so an example, can someone think of an example of someone that God wanted to stay because there was still a mission to perform to those outside of Israel? Obvious Esther, answer is... Esther and Mordecai. Well, before we get to them, <laughs> Daniel, he's not only stays behind, he's a leader, right? Yes. right? Lalika? Yes, uh, that is the point that I wanted to make. Some of them uh, were um, supposed to be there for, to fulfill God's mission. Mm -hmm. We don't just have Daniel, uh, Esther and his family, but even uh, Ezra's, uh, and uh, Nehemiah, they also stayed behind. So they would be better off there to help God's people than to go back. And some of them, like Esther, may not have even been born yet yeah. mm -hmm. when they were first allowed to go back. Yes. But uh, Daniel certainly was, may not have been the only one yeah. that, the, that God says, stay by, the mission's not done yet. Travis? And I want to be fair to the captives <clears throat> in Babylon. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because... When, when that statue was built on the plain of Dura, it was, it was the leaders of the country, satraps and, and that, that were called to the dedication. It wasn't everybody. So there True. might have been people who weren't leaders, who were captives, who were never called and wouldn't have bowed down to that image. Sure. That's a really important point. Unfortunately, there were some, maybe including the king of Judah, who mm -hmm. bowed down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, not everyone. John? Uh, you know, Jeremiah talks about seek the peace of the city where you're at and also make that your dwelling place and make that your house because God through them wanted to dispel the truth of his word to them. So we're going to go now to the book of Esther. Haiti, I'm going to ask you if you'd help us in Esther chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and let's see how the story begins. Now, now remember, we're not just learning about Esther and her relative Mordecai, we're gaining mission lessons mm -hmm. from them. So let's pick up the story, Haiti, in Esther chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, Esther chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel. So we've got a kingdom here. Does anybody know approximately what date we're talking about? Did you look that up and kind of come up with a date, Sean? About 483 B.C. Okay, so we're, we're quite a few years after Cyrus said you can go home. Right. And uh, now, if you read on the rest of the chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but maybe someone can summarize for us. It's found in verses 3 to 22. What can you learn about the culture? Uh, this is the Persian culture, right? Mm -hmm. What can you learn about the culture from reading uh, chapter one of Esther. Haiti? Well, first of all, you can see, not only is this kingdom massive, but it is insanely wealthy. That's the biggest thing that stands out to me. To be able to have a party that lasts six months 
You have a lot of money and a lot of free time on your hands. Uh, but when you look at the descriptions, like they were drinking from golden vessels, um, the material of the floors, the materials of, of the buildings themselves, I just see wealth is something that really stands out to me. And I was going to add to the previous question about why some people may have not returned. We know from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that for those that did return to, to God's uh, land, the land of Canaan to Jerusalem, it was very difficult. It was an unpleasant thing to go back to have to rebuild the city, rebuild the walls, um, re redo everything. And, and so when you're used to living this lavishly, that is not something that is appealing to you as well. Mm, it's a challenge, isn't it? There may be even some people today when they think about Jesus coming back and they say, well, Jesus, just wait a while because I'm feeling quite comfortable yes. when everything is going to be burned up, right? So let, let's look, there's something that uh, mm. Haiti said, not only were they wealthy enough mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to have a party uh, for six months, what else does that tell us about their culture, anybody, besides their wealth? Yes, John? It's a very, very party-oriented culture. Yeah. It's very much a pleasure-oriented hedonistic culture mm -hmm. and and where where does that um that pleasure seeking that hedonism to use the word you use sean where does that show itself in the story in chapter chapter one mm. yes scott yeah um you see how the queen was expected to perform mm -hmm. for the group of presumably men mm -hmm. and when she refused, she was deposed in order to preserve respect for the men. Mm -hmm. I mean, th this, this is very much about power and authority, and the men were in charge with the king on the top. And you don't challenge that. You don't do anything to go against that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as I read the book of Esther, there are several heroes. Certainly, we're going to talk about Esther and Mordecai. But I think Vashti was a, yeah. was a hero, too. Yes. She's like, I'm not going to be paraded as a commodity That's right. in front of a group of Drunk drunk drunker people yeah. who've been partying, to use that verb, right? Mm -hmm. They've been pleasure-seeking for months, mm -hmm. and, and you expect me to parade myself in front mm -hmm. of. Do you get a picture of the culture yeah. uh, at that time? Anyone want to add to that? What else do you see in the, the culture? Sabina? I think that also the other evidence we, we have here that this was a very hedonistic uh, culture is not only that he was, you know, exposing the riches, but also that it talks about this ongoing drinking. Uh, the way that it's presented, you know, that the drinks were served in different golden vessels, so it sounds to me there was also this appeal for, um, you know, the type of atmosphere that drinking in that context can can arise, you know, like a lack of boundaries mm -hmm. and lack of um, just kind of celebrating something with no um, strings attached. Right, right. A lack of good reason. Mm -hmm. So it's in that context, and as was mentioned, when Queen Vashti says, I'm not willing to be some kind of exhibit mm -hmm. in a group of drunk people, she's banished mm -hmm. 
By the way, that's another thing about this culture. They don't have very wise counselors, do they? Yeah. <laughs> because the wise counselor would have said, well, King, actually, she has more integrity than you do. Yeah. But uh, let's see how Esther comes onto the scene. Gladys, if you could pick up the story. Again, we're looking for mission lessons. Mm -hmm. These Jews have stayed in Persia. Right? They're not going all the way back to Judah to get them. They've stayed, and let's see what happens that brings a young lady, not named Esther at first, but we'll learn her name, uh, right into the royal court. Esther, Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I'm reading from the New International Version, and it says, Later when King Xerxes' fury has subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done, and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, Many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. Mm. All right, Lee, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> I don't know if uh, Hadassah later called Esther was about your age, but do you think she volunteered? Do you think she said, oh, oh, I'd like to I'd like to live with this man who banished his uh, woman, wife of integrity. Uh, how does she end up part of this pool? Yeah, I have put myself in Esther's shoes many times, and I'm certain she did not volunteer. I imagine her living a very humble life, um, living with her cousin Mordecai. And she probably understood that when people were taken to the palace and were, you know, living in the courts of the king, they didn't go back to their life. I imagine she was a God-fearing young woman who, who loved the Lord and just, like I said, lived a humble life and wouldn't have wanted this for herself. But as we continue reading, you see that she, you know, realized she was in a place where the Lord could use her and decided to take the opportunity that was given to her, whether she wanted it or not. Thank you, Leah. I think you're absolutely right. Anybody want to agree with that? Anybody think she was going, oh, oh, oh I'd like to be queen with this character, uh, Travis? I don't think it was whether she wanted it or not, because I don't believe God forces us to do things we don't want to do. I think she was just humble to the point where she was willing to go 
wherever God wanted her. So she didn't uh, commit suicide or run away, but but they were doing a search for beautiful women, mm -hmm. and we learned from the text that was Hadassah was beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, they said, oh, there's someone. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing you say, Travis, is perhaps that prayer of saying, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm -hmm. protect me on this journey, mm -hmm. right? Let your will be done here. But not really knowing, she's just one of a multitude going through a harem, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not an ideal place to be. But uh, she obviously recognizes that she has a mission assignment. John? You know, with Vashti, uh, when she didn't want to come before the king, you know, they banned her. And so if Esther did not obey at this point in time, she won't know what would happen to her. So she was probably forced into a similar situation. No, no freedom. But we don't have a lot of time. But by the way, verse 1 of chapter 2 shows us uh, the foolishness of making decisions mm -hmm. when you're intoxicated. Yes. Right. By the way, that's why you shouldn't ever be intoxicated that's because right. you want to all, always want a clear mind. Because when... The king becomes sober, and someone talked about more rational. Mm -hmm. What's his thought? He remember her. I made a terrible decision. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right, yeah. exactly. She was an honorable woman, yes. and I made a foolish decision. Mm -hmm. But here we are now, mm -hmm. Esther's in the court. Now, I'd like, Scott, for you to read verse 10 of chapter 2 and verse 20, because it, it might seem to us that Mordecai gave Esther a strange instruction. Mm -hmm. hmm. Let's see what the Bible says. Verse 10 and verse 20 of chapter verse, 2 of Esther. Verse 10 and verse 20, I'm reading from the ESV. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And then in verse 20 it says, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Hmm. So uh, she was a person uh, of integrity. She, Mordecai was like her guardian, right? Her parents had both died. And he told her, Hadassah, I, I don't want you to immediately reveal your identity. Mm -hmm. So I thought we're supposed to be a witness, Haiti. Help me out here. I thought we're supposed to let our light shine. Is there ever a time, do you think, we're talking about mission here, mm -hmm. when it might be wise or prudent to not tell everything right away? Definitely. I think both then and now there are regions of the world where belief in uh, the Father God Jehovah is not the predominant religion. And it could literally be a threat to your life and maybe even to those associated with you to reveal that belief. So, you know, based on where you are and what the Holy Spirit is impressing upon you, it may be better to keep it to yourself for a time until the Holy Spirit reveals otherwise. And there are people who go into countries, even right now in this day and age, and they will live amongst the people as working as a nurse or a teacher or an engineer, but they are not openly revealing that they are Christians. Uh, but as they get to know people and mingle with them like Jesus did, then they might be able to see, you know, 
that there is a desire, a, an interest in the things of God. And, and then at that point, they reveal it. But otherwise, they just have to reveal it with their actions. Mm, I, like, I like what you said, Haiti, that until the Holy Spirit directs. Yeah. Right. Uh, we got an email from Ali, right? If, mm -hmm. if he said, I'm in this city at this location, right. and I'm telling people about Jesus, mm -hmm. that, that could put his yeah. life yeah. in danger, right? Yeah. Uh, and that, according to Haiti, uh, is happening all around the world, because how many does God want to be saved in his kingdom? Oh, he wants them to know that he loves them, that they don't have to work their way to heaven mm -hmm. with all kinds of religious rituals. They don't have to be afraid of all kinds of evil demon gods, mm -hmm. that there's one true God in heaven. So let's talk again about when it's appropriate to not tell everything right up front. Gladys? Yeah, I just went to a training with people from all over the world. Um, and there is this guy that he was from, from China but he lives in Hong Kong. Mm. And when you were talking right now, it reminded me of him because he has a secret identity. So he goes to mainland China to preach the word. He smuggles the Bible in printed copies and he just prints a book at a time and he brings it in. And he just goes secretly to different locations to distribute the word of God. And he's one example that even nowadays, you cannot go and, and just openly say, you know, I am a Christian and I'm coming here to preach. And you know, even while Gladys is sharing that story, I get a little nervous, mm -hmm. but I'm glad you didn't tell us what city your meeting was in or where right. the person lives in Hong Kong, yeah. because someone could be monitoring this broadcast. Right. Yeah. True. And we recognize there may be a time, uh, and I'm going to take two hands here, uh, three hands, I see a remote too. And then I want to ask, can you think of another Bible character mm -hmm. who modeled that of saying, uh, I'm not going to tell you everything right away, mm -hmm. but let's take some hands first. Travis? So Derek, this exact, well, kind of a similar situation was presented to me, and this happens quite often, um, in that I met somebody, his name was Brian, <clears throat> and, uh, and his wife, Deb, they were great people. I met him at the post office. We just started studying the Bible together. I didn't tell him what denomination I belonged to. I didn't even tell him I was a part of Hope Sabbath School because it wasn't that I was trying to uh, get them to be a part of my church in as much as I was wanted them to see the immeasurable and unfailing love of God. Yeah, yeah so your desire, Travis, let me, let me just summarize here, was not to mislead them, mm -hmm. but didn't Jesus say there are many things I would share with you, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Lilika, how would you add to that? I would just say that this is the wisest counsel that uh, uh, Mordecai gave to Esther, and later on we will see why uh, that counsel is wise. But other things as well, some people are, have this thing against the Seventh-day Adventists. Or Christians it, in general, uh, right? I, I faced time in my life where I didn't go right away telling them what denomination I am. Mm -hmm. First of all, I befriend them. Sure. When they get to know me and see who I am uh, uh, through my actions and interests uh, towards them, when I revealed I was a Seventh-day Adventist, they embraced it. It was like, whoa, I thought it about Seventh-day Adventist. So I think the key then is not that we're not trying to mislead anyone, right. but rather uh, we, we're asking the Holy Spirit, like Haiti said, mm -hmm. when is the time for me to share? Right. I'm actually not of this dominant religion. Uh, that dominant religion, by the way, could be hedonism mm -hmm. in a 
fraternity house mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. So not just talking about some foreign land, right? Uh, Sabina. And also the truth is that every single person is filled with presuppositions and prejudices. And those types of ideas that we carry in our mind about someone else that reflect just what our experience has been and have nothing sometimes to do with what he or she is. So I think that really applies very well to what we are sharing here, that we need to understand that sometimes people, they just need some time for them to kind of process through the information we have or who we are before we need to upfrontly kind of wanting to share a specific doctrine or even our religion that they can first get to get to know us um, in a more uh, real way and not out of their own presuppositions of what they believe we are just if we profess a certain faith. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Sabina. We've got to move on because we want to see the whole story. But the key person who's an example for us of not always sharing everything up front, Stephanie, is Jesus. Jesus. That's right. If he'd come right up front to the religious leaders and said, I am the Messiah, Son of God, come mm -hmm. to save the world. Well, we know what they tried to do at several occasions. Yes. But I want to go to verse 9. John, if you could read mm -hmm. Esther 2, verse 9. And I want to unfold the story. Now, we're not going to study the entire story today. Maybe you're watching, you say, I want to read the book of Esther. That's good. But we're going to learn some mission lessons. Mm -hmm. John, what do you notice in Esther 2, verse 9? Esther 2 and verse 9 from the ESV. It says, And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with the seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young woman to the best place in the harem. So it says she pleased him. Who's the him? Haggai. Huh? Haggai. Yeah, right. The, the uh, overseer of the harem, right? Yes. Not, not the king. She hasn't got there yet, right? Uh, what do you think? We don't know for sure. But what do you think caught his attention? Mm. Stephanie? I think it was her inner beauty as well as her outer <laughs> beauty. Someone once told me, go for the inner beauty. If you get the outer beauty, that's a bonus. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but he saw that spirit of humility. Mm -hmm. He saw actually the love of God being revealed. That's right. He maybe didn't know what it was, right. but she made a great impression upon him. Let's look at verse 11 now. And uh, Leah, if you could read chapter 2, verse 11, because uh, what do you learn? Mordecai said, don't tell anybody who you are, but he's not a passive observer. What do you see in chapter 2, verse 11? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, verse 11 reads, And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Hmm. So what do you hear there, anybody? My Bible says he paced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, 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 do you, what do you hear there? Loving father. A, a, lo a loving guardian, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's a relative, right? But he's kind of like a father, right? Because yeah. her father and mother are both gone. And he's walking. What do you think he's doing while he's walking? Right. Right. He's praying, isn't he? Yeah. To the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yeah. saying, God, this is not an ideal situation. Mm -hmm. But uh, she's given the name Esther, which means what? Star. Star. So it's like, God, help her to shine. Yes. Help her to shine for you. Well, let's see how she shows 
real wisdom, and I would mm. suggest to you Holy Spirit wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Jason, if you could read chapter 2 and verse 15, because some people, when they're told you can have anything you want <laughs> for that day that you go in, yeah. they're going to say, here's my big chest, put it all in there, right? Yeah. Let's see, let's get the most we can, because mm. maybe we'll make it, maybe we won't. Yeah. Let's see what we learn about the character of Esther, and I think it's got a lesson for mission even. Amen, Chapter amen. 2, 15. Right, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, and the Bible says, Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the woman, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Mm. Hmm. So where do you see wisdom there? Anybody? Lalika? In, in uh, accepting the counsel of Haggai. She knew that Haggai, she had found favor in Haggai's eyes through God's grace. Was God who allow, uh, allowed her to have favor. Sure. Mm. So, so just think about it for a moment. How many people had he seen go in, take their right. nightly turn with the king? Many. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe dozens or scores, right? And and here, what do what do we see? We see wisdom. What else do we see in Esther, Jason? She was very content. You know, the Bible says, you know, godliness. You know, is contentment. You know, so basically to that point, godliness with, with contentment, contentment is, is much gain. gain. Yeah, yeah. Thank right. you, thank you. Yeah. So I basically, she had that type of humility and humbleness about herself, and so she didn't really want much. She had humble beginnings in the first place. You know, so it just kind of led through a character, and that's what they saw. Well, back to Stephanie, what you said about inner beauty, right? She had the inner beauty. She doesn't have to pretend that. That's right. And so she asked the chief of the eunuchs, as Lilika said, what do you think would be appropriate? And let's see, Scott, the kind of impression she makes when she goes in before the king, Esther 2, 17 and 18. Okay. The king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Mm. He was pretty excited, yeah. right? He was impressed. Maybe he didn't know fully why. <laughs> but there was something, what did her name mean again? <laughs> there was something, Sean said, the shining. All of these other girls, I imagine, are like in a beauty competition. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe more than a beauty competition mm -hmm. with this pagan king. But she's going in not to compete, but to what? what this is a mission lesson, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Sabina, she's not going in to compete. How is she going in? Well, it seems to me in, you know, that at some point, even though she had went into that situation seemingly forced, forced, that it seems to me that because of her relationship with God, at some point she realized that there was a mission for her in that space. And then she embraced that journey, right? Like she didn't try to just get out of it, even though it seemed to be a sacrifice and a difficult situation to go into. She understood the voice of God to be guiding her. And then she used of wisdom to, to be there in the right place, in the right time, 
uh, not because she even initiated that, but because God had foreseen her humility and saw that she would be able to play a role in history that was going to be very important. And only because she was able to listen to God's voice that he could guide her. Well, we got to look at Mordecai's witness now. So we're going on still in chapter 2, because something happens that gives Mordecai, her cousin, an opportunity for witness. Travis, in chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, uh, this is one area. We're going to look at several areas of witness from Mordecai. He's outside, right? Mm -hmm. he's, he's praying and he's pacing outside, yeah. right? But uh, she's inside. She's witnessing. Let's see an opportunity for witness in chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers began, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Why was this uh, action that Mordecai took an opportunity for mission? Anybody? What do you think? I'm looking to the remotes. Anybody want to help me there? Leah, why was this an opportunity? He could easily have said, Leah, he could easily have said, uh, well, <laughs> this pagan king gets what he deserves, right? Uh, how is this an opportunity? What witness can he give here, Leah? I think there's a couple points to be made here. One is that he had respect for who was in authority, regardless of if um, that king shared the same belief system as him or not. Um, and second of all, it points back to what we were saying earlier about the prejudices that we might have against people of, of other places, other races. Um, this is something that established credit between Mordecai and the king um, before the king even knew what Mordecai or Esther's background was. So, so he does this not just to gain influence, but because it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. This king is in authority. And, and so it's a witness. Well, let's look at another witness. And I'm going to ask John if you read for us now in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Again, we're not studying the whole book, but here's another opportunity. Uh, this is mission lessons, right? Mm -hmm. So be flexible. Don't always necessarily tell everything about who you are right. and your mission. But what's another lesson we learn in mm -hmm. chapter 3, 1 to 4? Esther chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 from the ESV, it says, And these things King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamindataha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? 
And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Is he arrogant? Is he proud? Why, why does he refuse to bow down? Gladys? He was listening to God's command not to bow down before men. Right, right. You shall have one God no other gods before, before me, me, and you shall not make a graven image, mm -hmm. even a walking one, yeah. and bow <laughs> down, bow to, down it. to it. So, what do we learn about mission, Stephanie, from that action? Even though we may come in, you know, we have expressions like a tent maker, right? We may come in and be a dentist, I think was referred to by mm -hmm. Haiti, or maybe a nurse or a teacher, language teacher. But what do we learn from, from this action of Mordecai? That we don't need to lower our standards in our belief in God. We still hold that up, but we do it in a very humble way as, as Mordecai did. Yes. So, yeah, we, we don't have a video, but he, I don't imagine him standing there going, <laughs> you know, I don't know where you live, you know, where, where, where I grew up in England, this meant, yeah, right? <laughs> you, you don't see that body language, right? right. right. But, or the words. The words are very simple because he had let them know. Right, but Stephanie's saying, I'm not going to compromise right. what I know yeah. to be true. Travis and then, and then Sabina. I think it's important, Derek, um, to understand that there's a difference between being respectful because mm -hmm. we should respect people of position. Right. And there are times when we should can be respectful, and then there's a line that can be crossed with worship. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. We got to move on after Sabina's comment. Sabina? Um, and also, I think it's very outstanding how this particular event uh, tells us whose allegiance was uh, in his heart. Mm -hmm. Because maybe reading the previous passage, one would wonder that potentially Mordecai was already being wooed by the potential benefits of having, you know, uh, his his uh, Esther uh, providing some sort of benefits to him as well. But no, we see that actually he was just doing the right thing, right? He was doing the right thing. And even if the right thing sometimes would be something that would get him closer to have a favor of the king or potentially something that would not be quite what the king would expect him to do. So mm. we see a lot of faith in his heart and truthfully his commitment to God and not necessarily to that governance. So we're going to learn a lesson now in verses 5 and 6. Sean, if you could read for us Esther 3, 5 and 6, because another mission lesson from Esther Mordecai, Stephanie, is when I have the courage to stand, mm -hmm. not everybody will be positive mm -hmm. in their reaction. Sean? Yes, Esther 3, 5 through 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So a lesson there, when we stand, mm -hmm. because we're not going to compromise, right. we may experience hostility. We've got to move on. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask Scott if you could read 
chapter 4, perhaps the most famous verse in the book of Esther is verse 14. But 13 and 14, a death decree goes out, not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill all of the Jews. And uh, the, the word comes to Mordecai, and let's read the message that's sent. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have, come, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So, Haiti, I want you to take us to verses 15 and 16. Let's see how Esther responds. Now, a mission lesson is we don't think that out in the crisis. We've already decided to listen to God all the way through, right? So she's praying. Haiti, verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. Let's see how Esther responds to the appeal of her relative Mordecai. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Esther 4, 15 and 16 says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And some of you have seen a video representation of her going to touch the scepter that's outstretched, right? Yes. But I want to ask a question. We just got a few minutes to wrap up here. Where did this young woman, she's queen, but she's young, mm -hmm. receive the wisdom to know? You, know? you can read the story, right? What do you want? Well, let's have a party and invite Haman. Haman goes, yeah, I'm really important now. Mm. What do you want now, O queen? I'll give you anything up to half the king. Well, let's have another party. <laughs> and, and you know that Haman falls into his own trap. He's already built a gallows. Where does Esther find the wisdom? Help me, someone. This is pretty sophisticated, but I don't see her kind of as a schemer, Sean. And yet, and yet, the trap is laid and the evil man falls into his own trap and dies on his own gallows. Yes. She's listening to the God who knows the beginning from the end. He has foreseen everything that's going to happen. And because she's humble, she's able to hear him as he directs her. That's a mission lesson for us, isn't it? And I want to go to one last verse. John, I'm going to ask uh, Jason, I'll ask you to read, please. In chapter 8, verse 17, and let's reflect on that in the closing minutes we have, because not only, remember this is a mission assignment, right? Mm -hmm. Hostile environment, evil king, yeah. pleasure-seeking king, Yes. Mm -hmm. don't tell them everything, mm -hmm. but don't lose your integrity. Mm -hmm. And when the Holy Spirit says, step forward, mm -hmm. step forward. Right. Let's see in chapter 8, Eight of Esther and verse 17, the final outcome. All right. Jason? And the Bible reads, In every province and city, everywhere the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the fear, I'm not sure, maybe 
the Hebrew word could be translated also reverence or respect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was the final outcome? We're talking about mission lessons mm -hmm. in a hostile environment. The final outcome, Gladys? It was a testimony to everyone, not only in the citadel, Susa, but all throughout the kingdom. Yeah. Instead of killing the Jews, yes. they said, we want to believe in the God of the, Jews, the Jews, right, yeah. John? No, the book of Esther does not mention the word God or Lord, right? But he is very much behind the scenes. <laughs> and in some portions of the world or in some families, when there is even persecution, we might feel that God is not present, but he is working behind the scenes. Ah. So most important lesson, Travis, give me one lesson you can learn. We've got mission lessons from Esther and Mordecai. Um, James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and in due season, he will exalt you. Amen. Beautiful. One remote team member, give me a lesson that you learned, Sabina, from this story. The prayer is the key, you know, to have a prayerful life and invite others into prayer. That's key for mission. Amen. I don't, I'd like to hear what your key lesson is. You say, Derek, I learned something from Esther and Mordecai. You can write to us, sshope at hopetv.org. Some of you are watching on our YouTube channel. You can just go down and leave a comment below. This is the key lesson I learned from the story about a mission in a hostile environment, listening to the Holy Spirit, being prayerful, knowing as we humble ourselves, He will exalt us or lift us up in due time. What a, what a powerful story and what lessons for us today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, today I want to pray for each Hope Sabbath School member. And I especially pray for those working in hostile environments. God, give them wisdom. May the glory of God shine out even without words and give them the appropriate time to share more of your truth. Oh God, thank you that you give us the opportunity to join you in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. What a story. You say the book of Esther and her relative Mordecai, lessons for our lives today. Take a lesson given to you by the Spirit. Go out and be a blessing to those around you.